Kia ora, welcome to episode 2. Today we kōrero with Vishay Mpatuwai. She's most recognised from her days in radio as the DJ for the urban Māori station Mai FM. Back in the 90s, she was a young woman who left small town Moerewa to come to the big smoke of Tamaki Makoto. Here, she made her mark on the radio industry, winning Best New Broadcaster at the Mobile Radio Awards, the first wahine and the first Māori to do so. And while she's had a great broadcast and acting career, it is her mahi supporting kohine Māori that sits closest to her heart. Today, she is the creator and kaitiaki of Urutapu, a leadership program for young Māori women. In this episode, we talk about life in the far north, the gentrification and regeneration of her Glenninus community, and how V. Shane is playing her part in raising the next generation of Indigenous leaders. Whakarungo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiani. You know, we live in a media-saturated world, but we're not exactly drowning in our stories. We all know indigenous storytelling started in the stars, but like a night without stars, there was a blank space where our stories should have been shining. So I invite you to come and hang out with me and some kick-ass indigenous wahine. See how the world can be shaped by our voice, the unique picture that we see. Let us share who we are and not who we've been told to be. No mai, hide in mai, and welcome to Nuku. Tuku tuku te raranga, rangaranga fetu ao, no te hau tapu o ngā rihua, whakahekea hei tātai ki te umae, whakakō pani ake ki te hiringa matua, hei mauri whakauho āhine, he whare āhuru e wiwitia ana ki te hora, he takapau wharanui ki te taumata iho wahine, heke, heke iho, ki tāku kauhau ariki, hei ungu kātamu mōku nei e. So that's the karakia written by Rhonda Tibble, and mm. it talks about weaving the constellations of the stars into your sacred being, bring them into your heart, enabling ancient feminine energy, a sanctuary and a space of seeking, a sacred map of your feminine blueprint, channeled from your ancestry, a feast prepared for your prosperity. That makes me think of you, Vish. <laughs> no pressure, though. Like, in a nutshell, though. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's, it is. It's a taiwa. Like I love the feminine energy about it and the connection to the to the fetu and, mm. and calling upon our tūpuna. Um, and it makes me think of the mahi that you do through, through urutapu mm. and growing the next generation of young Māori female leaders. Mm. Um, so I wanted to start with, I suppose, you as a young Māori female growing up in Mwerewa. What was, what was that like? Small town, small town, far north. I think for me, one thing that I always people used to say to me when I started working at my FM when I came down to Tamaki was you can take the girl out of our bush but you can't take the bush out of the girl <laughs> and for me like um I think I'm really blessed to have grown up in a place like Moirewa for several reasons one is that I got to spend a lot of my upbringing my early years with my grandmother mm. so my middle name is Hana and I'm named after my grandmother um, and she's from the Oroita Valley 
And um, because both my parents worked at AFCO, so they both worked at the Freezing Works, I'm the youngest of six, and there are two girls in our whānau, so myself and my sister Abe. Um, what it, so what that was like for me was I grew up around very strong women. very str- like So we have a very strong matriarchal line. We descend from Hineamaru, from Ngāti Hine, so... <laughs> That says it all right there. Fano, <laughs> that says it all, eh? <laughs> what, what was Hineamaru most known for? So Hineamaru was was known for a number of things, but when people think, when I think of Hineamaru and, and the little that I know of Hineamaru and have learned from Ama um, in the north and from others is that she one of she's associated with Kumara, she's associated with Mara, so Te Mara o Hineamaru around um, Wyoming or and her leadership is around sustaining others. So, you know, creating gardens to be able to feed the generations that would come. So she travelled and she travelled and she travelled all around mm. Ngātihine, throughout Ngāpuhi, um, looking for fertile ground to be able to establish gardens that would then nurture and sustain the well-being of her whānau. So when I think of Hinaumaru, I think of a very bold, courageous wahine that moved with her whānau but ultimately knew who she was and what her calling in life was, which was about, um, if we think about leadership, was really about that, was creating for the next generation what would be sustainable and what would help them to thrive. Mm. And growing up in Moirewa, what was your your, uh, ambition as a young woman? What did you want to do when you... When you grew up, I find that a weird question. Like, what are you doing when you grow up? Well, you never know. I mean, now that I, now that I think I'm right, growing up. Thanks. I'm reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> and she was like, never ask someone what you want to be when you grow up, which I think is an interesting concept because what she talks about is that it's like when you become an adult, it's finite. Like, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know what I mean? So it's interesting, interesting that you asked that. Um, so, uh, one of the blessings about growing up in Moirewa is it's a place that uh, people often look at from the outside in and think it's disparate, broken, for many, many, many reasons for which mostly society determines what those indicators are for success and not successful. Um, but I think if you grow up in a place like Moirewa, you have this fierce sense of loyalty and identity so for me I'm really proud to have grown up in Moirua like you know people call it Motown Tuna Town um, and for me it's like it's where I learned what Fano is it's uh, for me growing up in that place I was related to everyone so I come from a very connected um, upbringing hmm, how do I put it often I'm asked about the role of feminism because I'm in, a, I'm in an empowerment program for Kohina Māori. For me, that didn't exist up north. You were just who you were, and I could run as fast as any boy, and women in my family had businesses, and and women were mothers, and we were um, nurturers, and we worked, and we were entrepreneurs, and we were businesswomen, and it's just who we were. There was no label to say, this is what you are, or this is, it, it just is what it is, I think, for Māori. And so I grew up in an environment like that where I could run as fast as the boys and I could jump off the waterfalls and I could go eeling and I could do everything. So there were no, for me, preconceived boundaries about what that meant by gender for me growing up, which was a really powerful thing. Because all around me, my grandmother ran her own farm, she was in business for herself, 
my mother worked, you know, so mm. I find that really, really interesting, that then social contract. And then I came down to Auckland, <laughs> and then um, it was different, like, so I'd never met any Pacific people before, because I was up north, and mm. where everyone's Māori and everyone's related, and so that was really interesting and different for me. And I think sometimes, you know, to be really puno, to be really straight up, I think, like, when I think of my whanau, I'm like, oh, bro, you's a racist up north, bro. <laughs> it's only, like, black and white Māoris and Pākehās. But I think one of the blessings of raising my children in Auckland is it's so diverse. Mm. There's such diversity and there's such beauty in all of that. Um, and there's beauty at home too, but that's one of the different things. So I grew up a tomboy. My, I was always competitive. My brother, who is a year older than myself, Baron, we always did athletics together and I played a lot of sport. Um, went to school, walking distance. My father drove the bus that I caught to go to school. <laughs> and Wait, was, did you, were you ever late? For yeah, that? so I would be late and he'd pull up outside the house. Like there was 50 kids on the bus and he'd beep the horn and wait until I came <laughs> hounding down the steps. Um, so I grew up in a really values-based home mm. uh, where I learned what it was to work really hard, to be kind, to be respectful, to be safe. So um, my parents were vigilant about keeping us in an environment where we were safe. And when I mean safe, I mean I never went to parties growing up. I didn't do any of that. I was often at church or I was with my family. And so it was, a, it was quite a protective environment um, when I look at it. Why did you leave? So crack up when I was yeah right. <laughs> so I was seventeen. I got kicked out of school, and I got kicked out of school. Uh, and I often talk about this because I used to play sport and I excelled in sport. But I was one of those kids whose report card always says, "Vishane has so much potential," but <laughs> dot dot dot. I was that kid growing up, right? And so I often believe that many of us know success. We experience success. And if someone takes the time to say, you know how you're really good at basketball? If you take that that uh, commitment, that work ethic, and that dedication, and you apply it here in business or in schoolwork or in any endeavor in life, how successful you are at sport, you will be that successful everywhere else. So I think that's something that we need to teach our kids is because Maori kids, we're hototu, we're good at art, we're good at sport. We get, when I look at my own kids, naturally we have an inclination to being in our body and learning by doing, mm. right? But no one ever had that conversation. All they ever said was she has potential, but. Um, and so 17, they're like, you just play sport, we're going to kick you out, just wagging school all the time. <laughs> to be porno. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when I got kicked out of school, I was... I, I remember feeling really embarrassed, like really, not not even embarrassed, but like really humiliated. And the reason for that is because, one, I knew right and wrong. I knew that, innately I knew that, because that's how I'd been raised. And secondly, I looked at my parents and I thought, they've done everything that they can. They work from six o'clock in the morning till six at night to give you the best start, and, and that's it. Right, so got kicked out, and um, a couple of weeks after that, Marianne Baker, who had come down and gotten her PhD in medicine, ha and she was a pharmacist, had moved home from Auckland and opened this flash ass pharmacy, <laughs> bang smack in the middle of Moitawa. <laughs> and you know what? She was running this course for girls. Oh, 
she'd me. started this course for Māori girls and she rang, she rang, I think my mum had gone down and begged her. <laughs> to please, please me. take her onto the programme. Anyway, she rings one night, I'm at home. This was about a month after I'd been kicked out. I had no clue what I was going to do. I was terrified. I don't know, I'm not sure. I haven't got any qualification. It's like sixth form or something. And there's not much options at home mm. if you find yourself in that position. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. I was really scared about that. It was really uncertain. And then she called me and she said, look, it's Marianne. I'm running a course for young Māori girls, and I think that you would be great on it. I hear you've got some time. <laughs> some time. Just got a little bit of time yeah. on your hands. You've got some time there, honey. Wow. Um, and so she took you under her wing yeah. through so, this program. Yeah, I was one of far out. There was like maybe about eight of us. She was like, come down and you work in the pharmacy. So you work in the pharmacy and we'll train you and teach you. And so I did. And then I remember my first day, she was like, you guys will not be late. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then she was like, and when you come here, you will dress up. And I was like, bro, ain't no one getting dressed up in Moirawa unless you're going tangi or you go to church. Like, there ain't no one dressed, right? And then she was like, and you will dress up. And so that was a, that was, I often share this with the young women that I work with. There was a turning point in my life, and it really was that, where someone could see something greater for me than I could see for myself mm. at that particular point and demanded that of me. And I was, I was, I'll say it, I was brave enough to say yes. Because I think as women, and particularly young women, often an opportunity presents itself, but we're too whakama to say, I'm enough or I'm worthy or. Yes, despite being terrified. And to take the risk without knowing what the what that looks what like. What that looks like. Yeah. I think is one of those, you know, you, you just get so weary of but I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what the outcome's gonna be. Totally, totally. Mm. And so I did it and I did that for six months and um so you know, she sent us to Auckland and I got trained oh, as flash. a makeup artist <laughs> and I got all these like, you know, went to all these makeup schools and cut above and she sent us to all these amazing places and I was like wow that's cool so I started to see the world beyond Moirua mm. um, and being with other young Māori girls and then she said to me okay I want you to teach the next course and I was like bro that's a stretch though <laughs> so by nature I'm a I'm a I'm an adventurer like I'll just say yes by nature that's okay yep cool sweet I'll figure that out and so I said yes and then I was teaching the next course we had another Rōpū come through of about, and I was young, I was like 18 when I was teaching the course, <laughs> really not being sure how to do it, but just doing it. And all the girls were about the same age as you? The girls were a little bit younger just than me, like younger, a yeah. year or something yeah. younger. And then, so I said yes, I did it, and then about three quarters of the way through before they graduated, there was an ad in the paper for, uh, he was looking for someone to come and work at his pharmacy in the CBD in Auckland. And oh. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm applied for that. I applied and I got it. So that's how I got from from, from Moirewa to Auckland. Well, so I was going to say, then you somehow transitioned into radio. Yeah, so I was in retail at the time, and then someone said to me, "You should do." Uh, hey, there's this ad for Maldives. <laughs> <laughs> You're so qualified it's in that cool area. Cool it all on that station. It's cool. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, me? That sounds good." Uh, so again, like had had no experience in pharmacy, had been trained in pharmacy, but no experience. Got the job came down, saw that, and was like, oh my God, no experience, all good. Um, and then so it was really funny because I went to the interview and that day they had invited a course from out west to come in. 
and I just pretended I was part of the course. So I just rocked up and, you know, I literally walked in the door as the general manager was walking down the door and jumped into the group. And they were looking at me like, who the heck's this random chick jumping? <laughs> oh, man. And then long story short, I got the job. When I started working at MyFM, I was young. I was 19. I'd been down in Auckland for maybe six months to a year, if that. And they and they said to me, the reason that I got the job was because of my personality. Mm. Like, no qualifications, personality, into it, willing to give it a go, like that. And you won Best New Broadcaster of the Year two years in a row. I did. I actually won, like, uh, back in the day. Back in the olden days when I was doing radio. Um, it's not that old. I remember you on radio. <laughs> totally right. People are like, you've been shutting off the radio. I was like, that depends. <laughs> that depends. Um, like when I when I was doing radio, the, the, the annual awards were like the mobile radio awards for like this big affair. And so I, when I started in radio, they said to me, do you want to be a radio announcer? And I was like, nah, they're all up themselves. I have no desire to do that. Nah, <laughs> not even interested. So they said, okay, marketing and promotions. So I started working there with a woman called Vivian Bridgewater, who was just probably one of the most powerful mentors I've ever had in my life as a, as a Maori woman. And she was fierce, man. Like she wore like six inch heels and she had like a, a haircut like Grace Jones. Oh, and she was like, Shoulder pads, and she was the real square ones. Like, yeah, she was like, she. And I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, whoa, let me take that, and that's cool. That is powerful. That is unmissable, and that is cool." Mm -hmm. So I worked with her, and she mentored me for about two years, and I really, that's where I learned how to create a brand, how to market. How do you market culture without selling out your integrity? What is the what is the balance between having something so special like our culture and having that sit in a commercial space? Like, how do you manage that? So I, I was very lucky to have spent the very early years of my career with such good mentoring because it was the best in radio. They got together the best people in radio, Ngāti Whātua. Vivian Bridgewater, his husband was Blackie, who was like legendary DJ on Hauraki. Mm. She was like this top-powered sa corporate saleswoman that they pulled in. Then they had Ross Goodwin, who started Hauraki with the Pirates. He was one of the original Pirates. They had Dave Bridgman, who's legend. So they got all the best people that they could possibly find. Pat Sneddon was on the board. Wow. It was just incredible, wow. right? So it was just this, this thriving hub of young Māori talent that they decided they would bring in and nurture and grow. And mm -hmm. if you look at it, like, so that's the Stacey Daniels, the Scotty Morrison, yeah, if you look the at all of those who've come from right? there, where's yeah. everybody going? I mean, you're all doing cool. such amazing things. It's like, what? So, um, and so that's where I got to really understand what it was to make a difference, make a difference for our people. Because when, mm -hmm. when I started at my FM and when we would go around to schools, kids were shy to put their hands up. To, kids were shy to say what it was to be Māori. So our job was to help kids be proud to be Māori again, again. Mm. Um, so loved it and spent ages there. Like I worked there for about 13, 14 years. Wow. I grew up there. Yeah. That's how I say it. And, and um, so now... The, the mahi that you're doing now, I don't want to say it's a community. It's a, so it's a not-for-profit. Like, not it is a not-for-profit charitable organisation. Um, and we, 
as I started to get involved, which was quite early on, but Ngaraiti and my husband started as a whānau trust, right? Mm. And if you look at Glenninus, all the research tells us it is the most over-consulted and under-delivered community across the country, wow. where millions and millions and millions of dollars gets invested for very little outcomes. That's what the research told us. And so we were like, nah, we're not, we're not going to settle for that type of uh, ineffective delivery for our people you know we can do better than that we can do, we're gonna we're gonna start our own thing and we're gonna be out the gate and we're gonna be disruptive and we're gonna be totally innovative and and just use our gifts mm. we're gonna use our gifts and we're gonna work in ways that have integrity with people that are like-minded where um we can live our values where we attract the people that we want to do and we do meaningful work mm. so that's how we started it and um, for those that are not familiar with Mad Ave, mm. Mad Ave is a really well-known street in GI, so that's where the organisation got its name it from. Is. It was originally called Puhati Oro. That was the name of the trust. And then um, Tam, my husband Tamati, we renamed it. He was like, we're going to rename it. And we renamed it Mad Ave. You're right. It's after an iconic street. Mm. And that's a mihi to what Mad Ave and every community like it, Motown kaikohe or Portiki, all those towns that are rich in identity diversity and culture but that are often seen as broken represent Glenninus is one of these you know regeneration re <laughs> <laughs> housing development the the new you know, it's being sold as the, the new place to be. Mm. Um, and just being in your whare, you know, you stand and look at your whare, and I'm just going to explain. Beisha's whare is, it's a, um, it's a bungalow. <laughs> it's lime green. Um, and it is covered. Every wall on the outside of her whare is covered in graffiti tui. Mm -hmm. So so tui that have been graffitied on by um, Charles and Janine mm. Williams. Mm. And... Um, it is, it is a piece of art, <laughs> and then you turn around to literally the other side of the road, and there are cookie cutter two story, no backyard houses going mm -hmm. up, and completely changing your community. And like, what is development and gentrification doing to GI? Mm, that's a good question. Probably my husband is more qualified to answer that <laughs> than I am because he has such. Not not even such strong views on it, but it is like, you know, when he says his whakapapa, he's like Ngati G.I. Like, it is who he is. It's his tūranga waiwai. The experience of it has been jarring for me because we went from living on a street where our children's friends snow fences on our street <laughs> you just mm. go and just go next door and jump on the tramp and help yourself <laughs> to the Fiji tree and the peach tree like that um so heartbreaking for me to go from that where people who have lived in that area who were moved there when no one else wanted to live there being relocated is such a being heartbreaking yeah mm -hmm. being moved out of there is such a heartbreaking thing and for me, like, Fenchurch is right in the heart of it, like you said at the moment, Fenchurch development. And having children with no friends for two years, devastating. Mm. You know, our children are 8, 9, and 11, and not 
you know, they would say to me, it feels like we live in Jurassic Park because every before the houses came, there were just giant metal fences. And it was like living in out here at Ishi where there's just field. It was such a bizarre mm. experience to be in that. And that was for about two, two and a half years before any other human beings were wow. around us. So it was such a surreal experience, very heartbreaking for me because... Tamati has known many of our neighbours. He was born in that grew house. Them, yeah. Yep, grew up in that house and born there. Um, and we were the only original homeowners on our street. Um, you know, one of our good friends has moved just down from us, like literally a block over from us. And she has three tamariki. Um, and she was in an old state home that was leaking, that was moldy, that was cold, that was drafty. And now she's in a beautiful new home mm. with uh, that's warm and dry and safe and soundproof. And so it's not as clean cut. And know? I guess that's the bit that we don't see. I mean, most often we talk about this regeneration and we talk about, you know, um, people busting down state homes to build new developments mm. and all of the the negative that comes yeah. with that because there is a lot of negative yes. that comes with that and we focus on that a lot and I don't often hear the stories of what happens next mm. and most of the time we just assume that the people who move into these new houses mm. are wealthy mm. or are not from the community mm. or you know or these sorts of things and so it's actually really nice to hear a story of a whanau who are benefiting yeah. from and there's quite a few, you know, there's quite a few in there. Here's one thing that's cool, and I'll just be straight up about it. Before the regeneration, the amount of violence, drinking, drugs, mm -hmm. and gangsterism on my street was a hundred times worse. Wow. And what gave me sleepless nights, sorry, sleepless nights was... Do I want to raise my children in this? It has many great, amazing things, but it's so unsafe. Mm. It's so unsafe in so many ways. And purely from a, you know, like a, just a safe space. Like, you know, it was not uncommon to have the police rocking up at three o'clock in the morning to disrupt the uh, domestic violence, right? Mm. So it was common for me to see my neighbours, the six children, out on the step at four o'clock in the morning, crying their eyes out while their mother's getting the bash next door that we can see into that whare and my husband having to go next door and contend with that. Having gangsters come down and smashing over the mailbox, having people do burnouts on my street, being terrified that they would lose control and smash into my baby's room. Mm. So there's also that to consider. I'm grateful that we don't have that. Let's talk about Urutapu. Why specifically young Māori women? When we, uh, so Foundation North is the primary funder of the Kaupapa at the moment, and they had actually put out a tono. So they had this incredible group of wahine talking about what it would look like to have a leadership program for Kohine Māori. And they did a lot of work with incredible women, young women, Auntie Moy Milne was part of that conversation, Katie Sherrington, Fiona Cram, um, Agnes Snyder, just this incredible, passionate group of accomplished Māori women. And so um, 
I actually applied for that. So they put a tono out and they said, we were looking for a provider to come in and do a leadership program for young Māori women. And I thought to myself, man, that is so cool. That is everything I'm, I'm most passionate about. Leadership, helping young women fulfill their potential and the opportunity to make a difference for our people. And uh, my husband said to me, we're not going to get that. Like, we just work local board and, you know, like, we just had a little funding from Auckland Council. We're not, baby, we're not going to get that. And I said to him, we're going to get it and I'm going to apply for it. And so I did. I applied for it. We got shortlisted for it. And it was a real process, actually, like over a year. It took us over a year to uh, be successful in winning the tono for that. So that's why Young Māori Girls is it came out of a project and our, our beloved project, actually. So Foundation North have been wanting to do that for around the last 10 years and have not found the right people to deliver the kaupapa. And, and what made you, in your eyes, what makes you the right person? Mm, that's a good question. I think one of the reasons is that I'm deeply passionate about it. <laughs> I am deeply and absolutely passionate about it. I call it my magnificent obsession is what I call it. Um, so there's that, but there's also that I come from the North. So what they wanted to work with girls from the North and I, I've spent half my life, half of my life in Auckland and half my life in the North. Mm -hmm. So I know what it's like to be a young Māori girl in the North. I know what it's like to be called the girl that has all the potential, but, um, but, <laughs> right? Um, and then I know what it is to live in Auckland. I know what it is to transition from a small town into the big city and what that's like and the, the trials and tribulations of that. Um, yeah. And MADAV and the work that we do is all about transformation and it's about new ways, it's about disruptive ways, it's about effective, it's about, you know, sometimes it might be Māori, sometimes it might be Japanese, as long as it's effective and it's getting the outcomes that we need, which is to help our people be great and thrive, then let's do that, we're not. And so what are some of the specific outcomes for Urutapu? Um, Here's what's interesting. I think for women or anyone who wants to work with youth and help them achieve their greatest potential, we tend to have these grand ideas about what the outcomes might look like. Oh, you know, we'll get X amount through to university and we'll, you know, we'll get them into internships and we'll get them into. Now, that's all right, except at the core of anyone's power is knowing who they are. Mm, who are you at your core? Yeah, most leadership things about... So we had 80% go to university and we had, uh, you know, we had 20% um, get NCEA. Ours is about the, the inner work that needs to be done if we have leaders who embody what they talk about and have the courage to walk the talk. I'm not interested in what job or career pathway you're going to take. Instead, I'm interested in realising your greatest gift so that together you and I can change the world. What is that? Because we often miss that. Because nowadays, in the schooling system, kura kaupapa included, the metrics of success are determined for you. And if you're like me and you don't fit that, you're broken, you're potential but you're sidelined and your gifts are often overlooked and never recognized because it's such a thin metric whereby we recognize success i don't really care <laughs> to be totally puno with you 
the, the, what they're going to go off and do. Mm. If we get this conversation right, this one first, ko te mea tuatahi, you are beautiful, you descend from greatness, you are here to do that. Are you going to honour it or not is what I'm interested in. What do you need to honour it? That's what we get. We get to the source and the heart of what really matters. Mm. Um, so it goes for a year. There are five noho marae throughout the year. So every quarter we noho at a different rohe. Every single noho built into it is a community service project that's designed to turn the curve. So what we say we exist for is to turn the curve for, the, for our people. So we teach our girls that leadership is synonymous with service. That's what it is for us as Māori. You ain't going to go get your degree and gap it over to London. Or if you are, that's okay too. That's okay. Kei koe te tikanga. What we're teaching our young girls is more than any, at any at any other time in our history, Kiani, right? Common sense would tell us this. We have more representation in the walls of parliament than Māori have ever had, mm-hmm. right? We have more millions being invested in social service delivery and intervention, right? We have uh, more university graduates than at any other time in our history, and yet we are filling the jails faster than we can build them. We are taking our lives, we are bashing our women, and we are killing our babies. Now, what, what's not right that all these indicators for success are happening except our people are dying? Mm. What is that about? Like, really, what's that about? And for us, it's a spiritual intervention. Māori are spiritual people, right? We say it on every pai and every marae across every country, but are we going to live it? Mm. Fano, you can have conversations about colonization, but let me tell you, are you going to live your tikanga or not? So we're a demand that kohine live it. You know, and we and that's a confronting conversation to have. It's a confronting conversation because, yes, colonization happened, and I have a choice. I can love my babies. I can be oahi kore. I can do that. I can do that. And as women, we are the primary teachers, healers, and nurturers. So the probably the most powerful thing is we demand or we teach our girls that leadership is lonely. Often it's lonely because it's <clears throat> because we believe it should be lived. Urutapu is about lived leadership. That's why we have our girls be smoke, drug, and alcohol free. Do we do that in your whare? No, we don't. Okay, well, our people left it for a reason. So are we going to do that or not, Fano? It's a confronting, challenging conversation. It is. And it's, I mean, one of the things that I truly believe <clears throat> is that wahine are the drivers of change Mm. and particularly for indigenous wahine Mm. when we become the drivers of change we change our entire communities because we change our whānau when we're the drivers of change we change our household we change our whānau we change our marae Mm. we change our communities Mm. and if enough of us are doing that then together we then change our society Mm. we change our country and in turn we change the world yes and this is, I mean, this is, this is why we, this is why I have nuku. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it's, it's all about, you know, what are we all doing yeah. to change these little parts of our world so yeah. that together we as Indigenous women are changing yeah. our world. And I think for us, you know, often we'll say to the girls, Rumi wrote one of my favourite poems, which was, um, uh, <clears throat> I can't remember it verbatim, but it's something like, 
um, when I was foolish, I went out to change the world. But when I was wise, I realized that I had to change myself first. Mm. So our program is about self-mastery. It's really what it's about. At an individual level, you can't lead, honey, if you can't lead yourself. That's never going to happen. That type of lead, so anyone can stand on the pie and sound flash. But I'm not interested in raising a generation of leaders that stand at the front and look the part and then go out the back and have behavior that's completely contradictory to what I've just said on the pie. Mm. That type of leadership for me is is insufficient, ineffective, and, and no longer tolerable. So we are staunch about that girl. One of the things we teach our girls is that they have to learn to be pono, to be authentic, to share, to be truthful, to be honest, to be, starting here. If we can master this, girls, this first, if we can master this first, being pono, being tika, having aroha, doing what we say, fulfilling our commitments, being a great person, being a, a fantastic human being, raising our babies, being a great wife, honoring those things, if we can get that right, then, like Rumi said, then we can start to make impactful change. We need exemplary leadership now. That's what we need mm -hmm. if we're going to turn the curve because everything else isn't working. It's not working. From your perspective, what does the future for Indigenous women look like? I think it's really bright. You know, like I, I really believe that there is a wave of consciousness that's happening mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and I believe innately it's, it's, well, it's inherent if you're indigenous, like whether we're in New York or whether we're in Toronto or with First Nations or wherever, it's, it, that's inherent in who we are. Um, I'm in two minds about it. I believe that there is a wave of consciousness out there, but knowledge is nothing if it's not applied. So it's one thing to know it, but that will not, that will not cause transformation at the need it needs to occur at unless we're willing to apply and live the knowledge. So we have the knowledge as Indigenous people, we have it, but are we living it? Are we walking the talk? Are we walking the talk as leaders? And when I say leaders, I mean in our homes. Like are we doing that for our girls, our babies, our communities? Are we doing that? And, every, and that's not about being perfect. That's not about being perfect. It's about striving to be the best that we can be and then that you know it's like Nelson Mandela's talk right your light will illuminate others and give others permission to shine if if we're doing that so it, it's whether or not we actually take up the wheel to do it mm. in my in my opinion is there a, um, a common issue that is affecting our young women today here's what's interesting of the nine girls that I currently have in my rōpū uh 100% of the girls, because they have to apply to be part of Virutapu, they have to tono to be part of it. Every girl said, I want to be more confident. Mm. Now, if you look at the girls on my kaupapa, the kohine on our kaupapa, you'd, you'd, you'd think it would be a given. So the head girl from Rafutiro in Whangarei, we have the winner of the Taitoke Raunga Manu Kōrero, um, senior Māori comp, we have the kaita, taki wahine and kaikohe, we have a brilliant scholar from Waiumio. You would look at the girls and you would say, that's a given. Now, that is not a given. And I think I, I referred to it earlier on as we're designing programs for leadership or whatever we call it. I don't actually like leadership because it's deeper than that. 
that it's actually about getting to the source of who you are and your own authentic power is really what it's about. And leadership doesn't do that justice. Leadership, or kaiārahitanga, which is more about reciprocal service, is a manifestation of that. It's it's just what shows up in the world when you're being that, right? Um, but that's what the girls want. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy because we're designing programs, oh, we're going to have X amount do med and we're going to have X amount lead in iwi politics and we're going to have X amount move international politics. Actually, actually what our girls need is to be seen and gotten and, and to have mana and to remember who they are remember who they are because once they know who they are whether that is in parliament whether it's in paris or whether it's in kaikohe it's do you know what i mean you see Mm. a woman and she's standing in her power and whether that's on as a kaikaranga or whether she's holding the tea towel you're like bro that is some actualized Mm. power right there that is magnificent to behold so for us, it's that's what we do. And leadership, we use leadership because people kind of get it, but it, it doesn't do it justice. And that's just what shows up when our girls are living into their authentic power. What would you say? So we're talking about, you know, our, our kohine changing the world and we're talking about each of us being responsible for uh, living, being living examples of, of leadership. Mm. Um, so... Be Shane Patiwai. Uh oh. What are you doing to change the world? I would say that I that Urutapu is that for me. Like, you know, I often share with people that if I won Lotto on Saturday, um, I'd be at work at eight AM on Monday. Like Urutapu isn't a job, it's my calling. Mm. It's what I've been put on the planet to do. It's my small contribution to kōhine Māori, but also to Māori. Like you said, if our women are well, our people, that's an indicator our people are well. So urutapu is, is that for me. Like there is nothing else I can think of that I would rather do. Because, you know, if I can do what I do well with the young women, when I look at you, Kiane, I don't see you, I see the pa when I see you. Mm. Same with every young woman. We don't see tui. We see the pa, which is what you talked about earlier on. If I can get into tui, just a drop of it, that she is great and powerful because it's her birthright. That's actually who she is. She teaches that to every young woman she knows, that if every young, every woman got that, that she's the goddess, that she is that that we're enough, that we're enough, you know. And then they went out and they replicated that in every conversation and in every way of being and in everything they chose to do and every man that came into their life and every business that they started and the way that we teach our babies. Amplified leadership that is, you know, that's the vision, Mm -hmm. is as we empower a few, they empower many.